Hey, it's Wednesday. That means it is TRBM Ammo style. My guest on today's show is not a participant in Ammo, and that will frequently be the case with this show, is that I'm still speaking to somebody from the community who is published, sometimes traditionally, sometimes self-published, but we're going to be talking a lot about marketing and different aspects surrounding that. So you're pretty familiar with the format. Not too much to prep you on ahead of time. As always, there's links to the ammo program. And for a little while, I want to just continue to give you a rundown of what the ammo program does in case you're interested in exploring it more for yourself. Ammo stands for Author Marketing Mastery Through Optimization. And it is a program that helps authors, preferably authors who have an established series of books or at least three to four books currently published. Now, I only have three books published right now. One of them came out this week, so not too many books, and I have made it successful. I am profitably selling books right now because of the ammo program. The authors who do the best, the ones who are making six and seven figures with the ammo program, have seven, eight, nine, ten books, and really have a good program for moving books. But if you are in a situation where you have seven books out there, they're well-written, you've paid for the editing, you've paid for the book covers, you've paid for the design and the layout, and you're just not getting the kind of sales you want, Ammo will help you design targeted ads, mostly through Facebook, that you can reach readers who are interested in reading the type of work you're writing. It doesn't matter what genre. Honestly, there's nonfiction, there's fiction. Whatever it is, the program itself is designed to walk you through all of the nitty gritty of setting up your ads and then getting a sales page that converts. My sales page right now is converting at 25%. So one in four people clicks on the buy now button and I'm getting 50% sell through once they've hit that. So if you look up industry numbers, that is tremendous. It's what allows you to sell eBooks profitably. We have people who do this with audiobooks as well as paperbacks. So that's the basic rundown of what Ammo does. Now my conversation is going to be with A.R. Coffer. This is a fantastic discussion where we are going to range all across the board on how to market your book by human connection. It's a fantastic episode. I read and enjoyed her book, Courting Fate. She has a new book coming out called Courting Destiny just a couple of weeks from now on June 15th. So if you are interested, you can check her books out on Kindle Unlimited. You can buy them through KDP and get reading. These are fantasy books that reminded me a little bit of Terry Goodkind's Sword. I don't know. There's 20 books, so I don't know what you call a 20 bookology. But anyways, it reminded me a little bit of that with less politics and more romance. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with A.R. Coffer. If you ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. That reminds me of chasing a really good lead on a case down a dark alley, then wham, nothing. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters, what guitar solos and spotlight were for bands, and what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. But what does TRBM stand for? Trampling rascals bounce maniacally? 20 radicals bail money? Or timelines really bully me? Go on, you decide. I know a lot of people are mood readers that 
you know, they might they might think, oh, next week I'm going to read the new Stephen King book, but then mm-hmm. they decide to read, you know, a fantasy book instead. Um, I actually schedule my books. I put it on my calendar. Okay, on, on this date, I'm going to read this book. Oh, wow. I get my housework out of the way. I get my dogs taken care of. And then I sit down knowing that, depending, you know, three, six, three to 600 pages, that I'm going to read this book in roughly four to six hours. And wow. I plan my day around reading that book. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So I guess then that opens up a question for me is, are you, because you have, you have two books out right now, if I found them all? Yes. And so are you you're, are you making a full time living on the book so far or is there a, a job mixed into the the recipe or ha- how, how are things all fitting together for you? Because that's a huge block of reading time. That's what made me curious. My my husband is the breadwinner right now. Gotcha. Basically, any money I make um, from my books goes back into the books as far as my editor and awesome. programs that I use like Canva and Microsoft Word. Um, but I. I I know we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others, but you at least want to kind of have an idea of where you stand, you mm-hmm. know, as far as sales and reads and things. Yeah. And from what I have seen <clears throat> from people posting on Twitter and TikTok about their, their sales that I, I am doing very well um, yeah. for being a fairly new, relatively unknown indie author that I've mm-hmm. had sales around the world that I've had readers from around the world reach out to me to talk to me about my books Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sorry, I kind of <laughs> went off on a different tangent. There. No, you're fine. I, I mean, I, I I hear where you're coming from, and I think I if I if I'm reading between the lines correctly, when someone asks a question to you like, "Hey, are you making a full time living as an author?" Then the I think the feeling that we get is like, "Oh, I'm not uh, enough." if I'm not at that point, and so we try to talk about the successes we have had, and so I apologize. I'm not saying that you're not enough if you're not making a full-time living as an author. I think I just, right now, I have some assumptions about the world around me. And it's funny because even my assumptions are not true of my own world. In other words, I'm the the breadwinner in our family um, for all the bread mm-hmm. that I make or don't make right now. And my wife raises our kids and that's what she does. And she does a whole lot of other things. There are people in there who think that if you're not working a job, uh, a traditional job, I guess, that somehow that's lesser than. But I do tend to assume in the world we live in right now that married or unmarried, everybody's working some kind of job, and that's not necessarily the truth. Right. I, 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 and I, I didn't think it like that in the sense, okay, to me, being the full-time author is a job. I'm yes. literally 10 to, 10 to 12 hours a day. I'm on my laptop, my phone, my tablet, interacting with readers, interacting with other authors, marketing, editing, revising, you know, um, I, I also acknowledge and understand how blessed I am to be mm-hmm. able to do this, that I know authors out there that have full-time jobs, that have, you know, two to three jobs, that are raising families. And my God, my heart goes out to them because I know how stressed I am doing this full-time. I could yeah. not imagine having all those other responsibilities on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me echo that as well. I've been really fortunate that I'm able to focus full time between the podcast and writing books. Those are those are the only things that I have to focus on. Couldn't agree with you more on the amount of time that's going in to make this happen. And sometimes I'm 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 just my mind is blown to think about people who are writing and still going into clock into a job and make money. Uh, all the different sacrifices. I couldn't imagine having to do something else on top of everything I'm doing. So I I really hear where you're coming from. 
When did you start taking it as seriously as you are? Was there a moment where you went from loving writing and treating it a little bit like a hobby to treating it like a profession? Because you're clearly treating it like a profession at this point. I, um, about 12 years ago, I had, I started writing, I wrote out two vampire novels. Um, one of which is getting revamped, pardon the pun. And I'm going to say revamped (laughs) release, um, here in the next few years. The other one, hopefully will never see the light of day. Um, but with, with writing, it's always been sort of my escape. And back in 2021, the pandemic was going on. Um, I had I had battled COVID myself and was dealing with after effects. Mm. Um, and then I started to have some mental health um, issues. I was battling complex post-traumatic stress disorder and severe anxiety. And it was getting to my 40th birthday. And I had decided that I was going to write one last short story. I had been using these writing prompts and sending my sister these short stories. And this was going to be my last birthday and my last short story after I wrote this. Well, (laughs) as you see, I'm still here. Um, Courting Fate went from a short story to six months and over a million words into an eight-book series. And over that time of writing it, um, it helped me through my recovery, through my healing. Wow. And I realized that this was too important to just sit on my computer, to just sit printed in a binder on my shelf for no to see that I needed to share this story with the world. Hmm. That's so <clears throat> huge. You just, you just unpacked a really, really large multifaceted topic for us to, to touch on. So, um, like I said in the beginning, any of these questions that you're uncomfortable with, we can skate right past. I can edit things out. But I want to stop and ask you about the mental health aspect of it, because I think right that that writing is one of those things. Uh, some people will find stability through real estate investing or through accounting. So I don't think that it's specifically writing, but there's something kind of amazing when you realize that writing can help you battle back from mental health struggles. Can you share a little bit more about how you got to that place? And how you discovered that that writing was at least part of the path out? Uh, well, <clears throat> I I won't say the author, although a lot of people know her books. Um, <laughs> but I had read a book by a certain author that is very well known for these cringy romance novels um, okay. that are all over book talk. And reading her book actually sent me into a severe episode um, really? because something that happened in the book mirrored almost exactly what happened to me in my childhood. Oh, wow. Um, including even details like the glow and the dark stars on the ceiling. And um, that was when I started the downward spiral with my mental health and then decided to write the short story. I got the writing from and uh, I had gotten it at work the day before my birthday. So the day of my birthday, I sat down to kind of outlined and I was going to write this short story and then even just doing the outline I realized this was going to be more than just a simple you know 1,000 2,000 word short story for me to send my sister Hmm. so the next day I was off work Um, back then I only worked like three to four days a week part-time because of my health issues and I um, I sat down to start writing this book and it literally consumed me. You can ask my husband, um, 10 to 12 hours a day, if I was not at work, 10 to 12 hours a day, I was sitting at my laptop just hounding out the story. 
I actually averaged 12 to 15,000 words per day um, as I was writing it, that it just completely took me over. Like it was like my brain just hyper-focused on this story and getting it out there. So no, Um, no outline or anything like that. You were, you were literally writing forward. I did did do a basic outline the day before. And I mean, it was just a very simple, you know, point A, they meet point B, this happens point C. Like it was not at all, you know, but just basic, just for the short story. And Mm -hmm. then as I said, as I started to do this, even basic outline, I started to realize, okay, there's going to be more to this than just a short story. This is at least going to be, you know, I, I thought a book, maybe a duology. Um, now, back then I was on an older laptop, so I didn't know about word counts or anything like that. You know, um, it wasn't actually until I joined Twitter and said, oh, I wrote 5,000 words today. And I'm like, where do I find that on my laptop? I don't know word count. And then I discovered that it was about 1,255,000 words. So doing the math, that averaged out to, you know, roughly eight books. So it just, it just completely took me over. That's, that is phenomenal. It's, it's such an exciting uh, experience. There's a couple of things. One is I want to start, I want to start with triggers because okay. something you talked about is relevant to a really common uh, conversation about trigger warnings. First off, you and I have read each other's book. You read uh, The Nine Lives of Marvin Alonghi. I read Courting yeah. Fate. Uh, we agreed to read each other's work and give a fair and honest review. We both did that on Amazon. It was a fun experience for me. I loved reading your book. I really look forward to the sequel, which is dropping imminently. Um, and the rest of the books in the series, the one that you're talking about, uh, I don't recall that I warned you about the first death in my book. I don't think I gave you a trigger warning. And as a general rule, I don't give trigger warnings because I came up in the academic atmosphere. I got my master's of fine arts in fiction writing and everybody talked about trigger warnings all the time. And there were elements of trigger warning discussions that were off-putting to me. I didn't like uh, that I had to warn people about any possible triggering thing inside of my book. And I was like, how can I even uh, guess at what might be triggering to somebody else? Now, I knew in in my case that uh, the rape that happens in the first death could be triggering to people, but I chose not to uh, include that as a general rule. I'm curious now that you've read that book, uh, was it offensive to you that I hadn't warned you? I honestly did not even realize until you and I were messaging about each other that that had even happened in the book because I think my brain kind of blacked out for it. Um, Here's okay. Let me as a survivor of child abuse, domestic violence, sexual assault, let me say as far as trigger warnings go, you can have them. You can still upset people. You cannot have them. And people aren't bothered by it. I mean, yeah. basically, it's like anything else with your book. Is There's no right or wrong answer because yeah. somebody's either going to be offended or they're not. Yeah. I just have a basic warning for Courting Fate, you know, that it covers serious topics. I mean, okay, I actually brought this up um, when the movie It came out by Stephen King because people were saying, oh, my gosh, this, this movie needs trigger warnings. It, it, it has homophobia. It has death. It has... I'm sorry. I know going in, reading Mm -hmm. or watching something called horror, I know these things are going to be in it or potentially are going to be in it. Now, if I'm reading a book that looks like a cute, funny rom-com, 
and on page 28 she's brutally raped i'm gonna be a little upset like okay nowhere in the description was this noted you know this didn't have any warnings at all it it, it did not prepare me but again i'm not going to be upset with the author that was my own trigger yeah you know everybody is different and everybody has their opinions on the trigger warnings but Mm. me personally if they're included i will read them and i'll check it out but if they're not i'm not going to be offended or angry or upset that oh my gosh why why did the author not include this with this book i should have known this going in you know what that is such a such a really keen insight that i would have never considered before is that when you're reading in a genre that's likely to deal with certain themes then that in and of itself is kind of like the trigger warning i've wondered before and i've i've conversed with previous guests about uh do books need a similar rating system to what we have for film i've i've never personally been annoyed if i go to a rated r movie um that that it's rated r and been like it's ruined my experience that it was rated r i i you know now i know Know too much about like they're gonna drop multiple f-bombs um <laughs> it's like okay well, i kind of feel know. like the genre themselves is that like to a degree yeah. genre, but in the sense that okay i'm reading a book that says it's middle grade now mm-hmm. if i read a book that says it's middle grade and i open it up and it's full of sex and foul language yeah that's not supposed to be middle grade that's you know right. but you understand going into an adult epic fantasy that there could be topics of rape or brutalization mm-hmm. or torture you know uh book two has a torture scene in it that is fairly explicit you yeah. know again i'm just going with a general warning because it's fantasy if you've read you know i understand a lot of people if they've only read lord of the rings they might be surprised by the darker aspects of fantasy mm-hmm. but most people at the very least have heard of game of thrones know how violent very that true. is and very true I've my books are pretty mild from what I understand compared to those. Yeah. I've not read uh, George R. R. Martin, um, but I would, I would definitely say that your book in general is, is mild. I didn't find there to be any level of violence or um, sexuality that, that seemed, um, I mean, it hasn't even, it did, it, it, it seemed mild by comparison to what I'm used to reading. So, yeah. And, and each book, like I say, they do get a little darker. They do get a little bit more spice in them as mm-hmm. they go on because as characters are learning to trust themselves and their partners and to grow in their relationships, um, you know, and I don't mean to digress, but that is another thing that sort of bothers me sometimes is when I'm posting about my books on various social media and I immediately get, ooh, how spicy is it? I understand mm-hmm. people love spice. There's nothing wrong with that. I have a spicy fairy tale retelling coming out in October, but that should not be the first question you ask somebody who's promoting what is obviously a magic and wartime and sorcery fantasy book. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, in in general, and I've had this conversation recently as well. Reviews and people's responses to our writing can be so frustrating, and I think. Uh, the, at the, it, it, in the same way, I don't personally want trigger warnings. I, I feel like I can navigate my way through what I'm going to encounter in literature. Um, although I do want to come back to that conversation because there's something that happened to you that I think is is worth considering for anybody who's on the no trigger warning side of the, the conversation. But okay. for, for the purpose of this, I want to also say as an author that people's reviews can be strangely brutal. And I wonder... As as a reader, what what are they thinking if they choose to leave a review that's really scathing 
um, but clearly not aimed to be helpful to readers or anything. So I'll use my own one-star review uh, as as a an example. So I I have a mailing list. When people buy my books, they join my mailing list unless they happen to get it off of Amazon. But most most people who read my books end up on my mailing list because that's how I advertise. Um, And so I reached out to my mailing list after a little while, after I figured most people had probably had a chance to read. And uh, I said, um, I want to give away my audiobook for The Nine Lives of Marvita Long High for anybody who's willing to drop a review on Amazon uh, and just send me a screenshot of the, 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 the review. And mm-hmm. so I didn't get great interaction from that, which I was a little bit surprised by. But what I did get was one reader said, I would never have even reviewed this, except the author asked for it. It's a one-star review. It's like, I, it was really annoying. I almost always finish books and I couldn't finish this book. And Lyle eating all the time was so annoying and, uh, you know, gratuitous murder or something like that. They just, and like, there was clearly nothing aimed to try to be helpful to other readers. And it was pretty harsh and it hit me really hard. I guess I'm asking you a little bit more about your experience with reviews. And while there's definitely a place for a one-star review, what do you think is the process that's helpful to people when reviewing a book? I am going to walk on eggshells for this topic because (laughs) I had a tweet back in January that um, I don't know if you saw that went viral. No. Um, where I simply said that I was in tears over a one-star review. I did not point out the reviewer's name. It was on a public site, not something social like Goodreads where people could interact. Mm-hmm. Um, I just simply said, I'm in tears. You know, um, this person obliterated my book. And I even apologized to the reader that they hated it so much. Mm-hmm. And I had videos made on Book Talk attacking me. And oh, no. after me, I had, to, I had to close my account there for a while. I had to take a week break from Twitter wow. um, because of it. So while I will say is, while I would never dictate how somebody should write the review or how reviews should be given. What I will say as a reader, as an avid reader who has read literally hundreds of books, when I write my review, I try to write what was good about it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the character development. I loved the story. Um, and then I try to give a few little critiques as well. I thought the buildup was a little slow or I thought the world building could have been a little bit more fleshed out. Um, I would never leave a five-star review that says, oh, this is a great book. You have to read it. And I would never leave a one-star review that says, oh, my gosh, this was the worst thing I've ever read. And nobody on earth should ever read this piece of garbage. You know, I because the reviews are for readers, I would hope that if you're leaving a review, knowing that other readers are going to read this, A, don't put spoilers I mean, that should just be a given. And B, just, again, you know, a few things you liked about it and a few things you didn't like. And and mm-hmm. just try to keep it civil and polite. I mean, that's just common sense to me. Yeah. I like that. I like that strategy. I'm thinking about this uh, this novel that I read. I'm going to read the review for the listeners more than for you, but we can discuss this because uh, it, I've had this strange journey. Uh, I'm also an avid reader like yourself. I, I tend to mm-hmm. put away somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 and 200 books a year. Uh, a good number of those are audiobooks. I, I definitely count uh, the audio experience as having, quote, read a book, unquote. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
So I don't know that I consider it reading by definition, but I do consider the book read. So I don't know how that works. And I can, we can discuss that too, if you want, but because that's my viral tweet, by the way, I, I asked people if audiobook reading was considered reading and people attacked me on Twitter saying like, how could you even ask this question? I hadn't even cited an opinion. I was literally just asking a question and I had thousands of responses to that tweet and people were, were saying I was an ableist for even asking the question. It was crazy. I've gotten off track. So I read a book, uh, January 8th, 2021 is when I left this review. So I'm, I'm more recently have changed the way that I think and review books, but the book was called Clown in a Cornfield, uh, by Adam. I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, but Cesare. Um, and I, I wrote, I'm so glad I read this book because for the past year, I had read a number of books I rated as three-star reads that I felt were, in fact, one or two-star reads. See, I read or listened to some article or interview that said the very act of writing a novel is so challenging that simply finishing one is heroic enough to merit three stars. And I thought, as a novelist myself, I get that argument. Writing is so challenging. I know few people who have the discipline to see the book to the end. And I'm going to skip over some stuff here. Uh, but the, the gist is that, like, I came to this conclusion that, that building a house is also really challenging and very few people do it. But if you build a shitty house uh, and the house falls down and crushes you, you shouldn't get like approved by uh, any kind of building association just because it's such hard work to build that house. So there needs to be space for one or two star reviews. And I, I, mm -hmm. I ended mine by saying, you know, stay away from this book if you're already secure enough in your own skin to understand that one or two one or two star rating was acceptable. I think there's a big part of me that felt a huge catharsis in leaving a one star review for that book. And I could go into the reasons why I felt like it was so, uh, it took advantage of readers. It took advantage of people. It talked down to people. There was so much that was wrong with it that was really upsetting, mm -hmm. but I did read the whole book. And I think that that mm -hmm. needs to be part of the conversation. If you're going to give a book a one or two star rating instead of just a, a, a you know, DNF, I think you have to have read the whole book. Uh, and then I had agree with, um, yeah. I've had a few people that have DNF my book and then in the review, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to say anything specific. And actually this one review has been removed. Um, but well, I don't understand why the character did this. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand. Blah, blah, and I'm well, just, like, like, finish the book, read the book. <laughs> Yeah. All of these questions you are literally asking are are answered. And you know, if 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 you weren't invested enough to finish the book, that's that's fine. And it's not that my book is good or bad, it's just that it wasn't for this particular reader. You know, not mm -hmm. every book is for every reader. I understand that. But I would never read 20, 30 pages of a book and then go on the review sites and, oh, I DNF this book, one star, mm -hmm. unless mm -hmm. it was just full of racism or homophobia or something just absolutely yes. terrible. Right. You know? Yeah, that's a, that is that is actually a really good point too. I think that there there are occasions where um, the star system itself is flawed because it may be worth just getting on and and posting a review uh, of a book and not giving it stars. I don't even know if that's possible anymore. Actually, I think that stars are somehow like the the, the gold standard, but um, it would be worth it to jump on and say, "Hey, this book is racist, or this book is um, sexist, or xenophobic, whatever it might be." There, there's a, a list of things that definitely would be worth warning readers that you caught these themes. Um, and the, the more detailed you are, the more you can help future people to decide if they want to read it. Uh, one last thing from my perspective, and then I'll close by asking what you feel about reviews before we move on. But there's a, a local Omaha author. She, I think, is actually a very good poet. I have enjoyed her poetry quite a bit. 
she wrote a novel and there's a bit of a backstory to it, but I, I saw her at a reading, asked her why she wrote the novel. Um, and she kind of danced around the subject that was basically poetry collections don't make a lot of money, but novels have the opportunity to make a little bit more money. Um, and when I read the novel, it bashed on our city. I'm a, a was at the time living in Omaha. I still consider Omaha to be kind of like my city. And it was bashing on the town so hard. And I thought, here's somebody who had an opportunity to represent the city and love the city. And she bashed on it. And so for that reason, I was really ill disposed toward her and left that in the review of like, hey, don't crap where you eat, I guess. I don't know. What are your thoughts on on that kind of thing as far as you're writing fantasy? And so you're not necessarily setting it in the real world. But how how do you deal with maybe representing your own identity in a negative light. Does that make sense? The question I'm asking, like, okay, like perfect example is I'm going to use the movie because it's more fresh in my brain than the book, but the Mm -hmm. movie um, chapter two that starts with the scene at the fair. Mm -hmm. And so many people bashed on the movie. Oh, it's homophobic. Oh my gosh. They hate Mm. gay people. Oh my gosh. This movie is actually terrible. It showed an actual somewhat real life event that actually happened near where Stephen King lived back in the 80s, which is Mm -hmm. why he included it in the book. Mm -hmm. In no way, shape or form, were they glorifying what happened or were they saying, oh, yes, this is a good thing, what we did. Mm. It was literally a scene showing, you know, what happened to these two gay men being bashed on by these uh, Mm -hmm. homophobes. So people, you know, that gave the movie one star or that gave a you know a review of it i didn't understand that because in no way shape or form was it glorifying it or saying it was okay or or anything like that Mm. it was literally you know part of the movie it was showing something that had really happened and it was showing something that unfortunately does happen in this country that needs to stop Mm -hmm. absolutely we're really great great point there too there's a obviously the other scene in it where where all of the boys have sex with the girl um and that's i don't think in the movies uh and i that book could never be written right now and when i read it it was Mm -hmm. shocking and startling and i didn't know how i felt about it but i i think the point you're making is that it's really frightening to censor our experience of literature or film based on not being able to even represent bad things that happen, even if we're mm-hmm. saying 100%, that's a bad thing that happened. Um, interesting. I had, I need to but, think but more kind on of that. Going back to your original point, you yeah. know, of, of that representation that to me, there's a difference between, yes, if, if Stephen King wrote that book now and was like, and it was glorious to see them doing these, horrible <laughs> things, yeah. that would be absolutely, Oh my God, you know, automatic yeah. one star. That this is terrible. Again, it's, but if if the narrator, if you know, oh, I'm John Smith and I live in Pennsylvania and I think mm-hmm. this city I'm in is absolutely terrible and it's disgusting and I want to get out, versus you know the author is the narrator saying you know these things and stating these statistics and why this place is horrible. Mm-hmm. Again, it's all it's, it's subjective, but yeah. it's in how it's presented as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, much better said than I did because even as I was thinking on the question, I was like, I knew it made me angry, and I think the reason was because I felt like the author was actually using the the speaker of the book to to as as their microphone as as her microphone, um, right. and it might not be fair. It's I, th- I I'm really glad that we touched on it though because this is complex mm-hmm. stuff we're discussing. Uh, writing a book, <laughs> thinking about a book, it's like really challenging uh, process to go through, and I. I applaud anybody who's even willing to leave a, a rating or review in the first place, I, I think. 
Well, and you know, I was I was worried with supporting fate because it does deal with like off page, you know, the child mm-hmm. abuse that she mentions. It does deal with yeah. um, the villain trying to sexually assault her and mm-hmm. hurt her. And I, I thought, you know, but it's one of those things. Either people are, you know, one reviewer said that she, um, actually, I've got it right here. She, her words were early on. I appreciated the thoughtful treatment of both the PTSD and the sexual assault. And I know that, and then, you know, end of her quote, and then there are going to be some people that will be offended by it. But I'm like, again, look at George R. R. Martin, look at, look at the dark fantasy out there that has, on page brutalization horrible that you know and and nothing against those books again some people enjoy reading them people enjoy writing them but that's not what mine was and i just was not sure how mine was going to be received because it does take on these serious topics yeah yeah that's a scary a scary part of of the process i know for me um, a large number of my ratings and reviews still do come from my network. So not necessarily lifelong friends, probably people that I've met within the last year and a half, but maybe knew me before they read my novel. Um, mm-hmm. But each time that a completely anonymous rating and review comes in, I really look at those closely to see, did I achieve what I wanted to achieve? Are readers um, receiving this the way that I want them to? Does the rape scene in my book specifically uh, land the way that I hope it does. Um, I do acknowledge, uh, in fact, listeners to the podcast know this, but that is largely the reason my book didn't get a traditional publishing deal. I had a literary agent for three years sending that book out and we would get responses from editors at different houses that said, really enjoyed the book. Kind of feel like the content is a little bit too racy for the time we're in. I don't know how well it'll sell or how I can market it, um, given this scene. So I think we're going to pass for now. Um, and, I think that that was hard to go through. And so when I self-published it, I've been very, very aware of of how readers take it. So far, I think I've had one one or maybe two people be uh, decidedly negative about it. And I think that that's a pretty fine ratio. I want to ask you now, um, in terms of, it's clear to me through through reading your reviews that people are receiving your book well. You have a, a pretty high rating on Amazon. Um, you also have a lot of reviews for a book that's fairly new. Can you talk to me from the marketing standpoint of how have you gone out to to get your reviews? What tricks have worked for you to get people um, finishing the book and leaving that review? Uh, yeah. Well, part of it, of course, is building up my street team. Um, when I released The Unexpected Queen, I literally had three beta readers, and I didn't even know what an arc reader was. I was mm-hmm. very new baby author learning all of this still. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so then when I was releasing Courting Fate, and people were like, oh, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to know more about it. Um, so I started talking to other authors um i had i had so much help that's the biggest thing with with twitter and the writing community was so much with oh make sure you know your keywords um and not just like your amazon keywords but when you're promoting your book like today i posted a uh ad on twitter you know it has found family assassins betrayal for you know forbidden romance Mm -hmm. um because some people may like one or all of those and say oh that sounds like an interesting book i should at least check it out Excuse me. But honestly, one of the biggest pieces of, of advice, the best piece of advice I've gotten, don't market yourself on social. Don't market your book on social media. Market mm-hmm. yourself. And mm-hmm. what that means is, yes, I do post pictures of my book. I, I do post, you know, oh, go to Amazon and check out Courting Fate today. It's, yeah. a, it's a great read on a rainy day or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I post pictures of my mug that has the cover on it and, hey, I'm writing my book and, and you know, having my hot cocoa this morning. And I literally sold a paperback because somebody oh, loved interesting. my mug. <laughs> they, oh, that's they great. They responded, oh, my gosh, I just bought the paperback. And I did see that, you know, show up in my sales. And But the biggest thing is just when people are talking about, I'm not having a good day with my book and they just want somebody to talk to and just interacting with them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll, they'll DM me and we'll talk more personal about what's going on and, and just building up these relationships. And then like with you, you know, um, I had seen your book before. I'm not typically a mystery or thriller reader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have you on, you know, my TBR. But then when we decided to do the review swap, you know, I put you on my calendar. I read it in about four hours, you yeah. know, and I did thoroughly enjoy the book, as you see from your review. Um, and that is honestly just engaging and interacting with readers and, and other writers is the best way to get yourself out there. I mean, there is one writer that I am friends with. God bless them. They just post the same thing two or three mm-hmm. times a day on Twitter. Basically, mm-hmm. here's my book. Here's what's in it. Here's the link. And that's all they do. Yeah. And then they DM me and they're like, I'm not getting sales. I'm not getting reviews. And mm-hmm. I give them the same advice I just said, you know, interact on these posts, engage in the writer's lips, put, you know, make, make mood boards, make, you know, merch, if you can afford it, make merchandise with your books on it. And that's how I've really gotten word out and, and giveaways, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do my giveaway and I, I ask the person if you're comfortable doing an unboxing video on TikTok, if you're, you know, if you're okay to leave a review. I don't expect these things of you. You actually do not owe me anything. This is a free book. But if you're comfortable with that, I would greatly appreciate it. And that's actually how I've gotten some of my, my best reviews is doing my giveaways and building up. And because mm. of these giveaways, they join my street team and are excited to read everything. I have a grandfather in New Jersey. Who won my giveaway for the unexpected queen and courting fate? Uh-huh. He did not have a Goodreads account, and he specifically created one just so he could review both of those books. Well, that's great. That's phenomenal. You know that you have a uh, a fan when somebody will do that. Absolutely. And again, I know how blessed I am. Not everybody can send out physical copies. Not everybody mm-hmm. can send out PR boxes. Not everybody can do giveaways. And and I I acknowledge and I understand how lucky and fortunate I am to do that. And it's but it's. I view my books, and this is how I had to explain it to my husband when we were discussing terms of paying my editor and like the publisher's weekly review and things like this, that these books are an investment. It's mm-hmm. a marathon, not a sprint. It's going to take time, yeah. you know, but if, if you approach it that way, that these are an investment and put money into it, you will get back out of it. Assuming, yeah. of course, that you have a good product to get out. If right. If I did these giveaways and everyone was like, Coming in my DM, look, I'm, I'm, I won this book, but it wasn't a very good book, and I'm just not comfortable mm-hmm. posting a review. Then clearly, I don't have a good product, yeah. but I'm comfortable and confident both in my books enough that I am happy to do these giveaways, knowing that nine times out of ten, I'm going to get a review out of it. Yeah. That's a that's a really positive way of thinking of it. I, I am just venturing into... Uh, newsletter swaps on book funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to see what the outcome will be with that because I, I think that I will probably through newsletter swaps end up having, uh, you know, several hundred books go out to free for free to readers. I'm curious if I'll, if I'll start to see uh, reviews trickle in from that because uh, I, I have used other methods than the ones that you've talked about for the most part to, to get reviews. 
one of the best ways that I have, and I think it's real similar to what you talked about, is when I sell a paperback through my website, I include a handwritten note right now. I'm not selling enough books that that's prohibitive, though I my handwriting is, is terrible. Um, <laughs> sign the book, leave a handwritten note, and I say, it means the world to me uh, when readers vote on my book as something that they're interested in reading. And so thank you for buying this copy. When you're done reading it, if you love it, and I think you're going to, will you drop a review on Amazon? That has that has been one of the best ways. I think that handwritten note, like a lot of people are willing to take the extra minute to leave the review when they see a handwritten note. Um, it becomes I impossible. do that as well. You do, yeah. And my handwriting is atrocious, so I'm, yes. I literally have to sit down for five minutes just oh, to write. Like you, basically, like you said, just a very simple, yes, exactly. like a person, review kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. If like four sentences does, it takes me several minutes to write because I have to write larger letters, all caps, so that you know it's it's legible and it's just really funny. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder if that's common for writers to all have terrible handwriting. I, I <laughs> so bad. But. I'm I'm seriously I okay I have pre-orders up now for my kingdom of forgotten curses book box um mm -hmm. that will be released in october it comes with the signed hardcover and uh bookmarks and keychains and other book swag that i've been making and i've been talking to an author friend of mine uh, named samantha that i was like i think i'm gonna just type up a letter and hand sign it mm. um only because with it being a fairy tale retelling, I can do like a parchment look, very cute letter. So it's still personalized, you know, mm -hmm. and like I would handwrite their name. Um, but for me to try to do 50 letters yeah. with my handwriting is not going to go well. But yeah. um, really quick, since I mentioned Samantha, Samantha Moran, um, she is my Twitter wife and author best friend on Twitter. And she does the newsletter. And if you look at her books, um, like Dealings in the Dark just came out, I think, last October. And she already has like 40 or 50 reviews nearly for it. Mm -hmm. um, because like you mentioned with, with the newsletter, with getting the words out there, she does a lot of in-person events as well. Um, and she's actually coming down here to Indiana where I am next month so we can do a joint book release party for her book oh, cool. that comes out tomorrow, The Ruin. Um, and then my book, Hoarding Destiny, which comes out June 15th. Um, but she said between the live in-person events where she also gets people to sign up for the newsletter and then just the newsletter itself, um, that has definitely helped her with getting reviews. So there, there's this huge value in in pairing with a couple of readers like like Samantha that just walk really close to us. And I, I've had that with with several authors that I know. I'm curious, do you ever find? But or let me try to ask the question a different way. We talked about beta readers. We talked about arc readers. Do you ever feel like there there's a point where there are too many hands in the pie? Have you ever had that experience so far or the more the merrier? What is what's your experience in terms of that early part of the process? Now, as as a baby author still myself and I haven't even been published a year. Mm -hmm. Um I you know ask me that question again in 5 10 years when yeah. possibly, you know not trying to like toot my own horn that possibly I could be best selling author, you know, mm -hmm. sold thousands or millions of copies or who knows. Um, but for right now, talking to other authors, um, perfect example, Kingdom of Forgotten Curses comes out in October. Mm -hmm. I went on TikTok and posted that I would be, you know, I have uh, the ARC reader sign up on my website. 
And I thought between now and August when the arcs will go out, I thought, you know, if I get five to ten here or there, that maybe I could have 40, maybe 50 arc readers, you know, by mm -hmm. the time this book comes out. I had to shut down the submissions within a week because I had 70 people sign up. Wow, that's awesome. So <laughs> I was very, uh, I am thrilled and I was very much caught off guard. Um, but from what a lot of the authors on TikTok said, a lot of them do one to 200 art readers, which I felt was a little high for me being mm -hmm. new unknown, you know, that I thought I'll do 70 for now. And when mm -hmm. it gets closer, maybe I'll open it up to a few more slots because even if I get a hundred art readers, 40 of them might leave a review, which is, which is great. And anyone that leaves a review, I appreciate it. That's great. You know, yeah. um, but I feel like 10 to 15 beta readers um, is a good number. And then like the 70 to 100 arcs. But we'll see how this goes because I've never had this many beta readers either. Yeah. I've typically about five beta readers. Mm -hmm. So having 15 um, betas for Kingdom of Forgotten Curses, if I'm getting such conflict, oh, it needed more spice. Oh my gosh, it didn't have enough spice. Oh my, mm -hmm. you know, too much conflict. Then I might just go back to five to ten readers yeah. um, for general uh, story issues and continuity, you know, questions, things like that. Um, I also do alpha readers. Some writers do that, some do mm -hmm. not. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad I did because they thankfully. One was an, an avid reader who reads a lot of romance novels and spice, since this is my first time writing something more focused on that. And the other is an author. So I got feedback from the two people who would typically read my book, a reader and a writer. Mm. And um, I have definitely uh, was very grateful for their feedback. And I'll be starting my rewrite for that tomorrow. So I'll be incorporating some of that in because they made some really valid points. So I absolutely believe that you should have, you know, at least two to four alpha readers, um, five to 10 beta readers. And then as far as arcs go, it honestly, it just depends on how many you can get. I mean, with the courting fate, I think I had eight arc readers sign up because again, I was relatively unknown people, you know, didn't really care um, as much for the unexpected queen. My debut novel got mixed reviews, you know, um, but when I did my Courting Destiny, I ended up with four dozen readers. So, you know, because I'm more well-known, because I do engage more with people. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, it, honestly, you're going into the going into the gate, you know, going out of the gate. You might get 10 arc readers that sign up. You might get 100. And that's really up to you um, how many you want to try for. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, advertising and your books. Are you are you paying for any advertising? You talked earlier about money, and I knew it was a, a topic I wanted to come back to. My listeners are pretty used to hearing us talk about money on this show. Um, I think it's a really important thing to grapple with. So things that that I, I talk about spending on would be your cover art, uh, spend money on your editing, spend money on formatting if you need to, whether that's owning a program like uh, Vellum or having somebody who is a professional formatter come through and help you get your book set up. Uh, and then there's the cost of advertising, the cost of sending out books like you talked about for an art team. If somebody wants a paperback or if you hope to get on a, a podcast interview, um, maybe sending out to the the host and saying, hey, would you be open to reading the book and interviewing me? Those kind of things are, are expected costs. What about advertising? Have you done any? And if so, where have you spent your dollars and what kind of return have you seen? I have literally, it's funny you said that because I literally just started an advertisement with um, Amazon, which I have okay. 
no idea what I'm doing. Um, yeah. I've tried to read. Um, I know a lot of people have heard of Lee Hall on Twitter with his talking. Yeah, about his marketing. he interviewed on this podcast. Okay. Um, I I have tried to kind of follow what he said as far as like the keywords and the bids and things. And so mm-hmm. since I literally just set this up, I, I you know don't know yet how it's going to do. Um, honestly, my biggest, and it's not really expense, but for, for marketing is my Canva um, app. Okay. Because I use that for my covers and my ads. And I make my own ads, which I then post on Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok, and Twitter, <clears throat> and on Pinterest. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know if anybody's really on Pinterest anymore, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, now like, I don't know if you would consider this for advertising, but I did purchase the, um, book life review by publishers weekly. Okay. Um, I know that is a little pricey, but I'm so grateful I did because not only did my book get my book review, get published in publishers weekly. Um, it received a phenomenal review. It gives me quotes that I can then, you know, oh, Publishers Weekly says this. And, yeah. you know, I, I got an A minus in Publishers Weekly. And, I, and like, again, I didn't just post a review on Twitter and say, oh, here, here's my review. Check this out. I posted mm-hmm. a picture of my magazine at Books a Million with a uh, frozen hot chocolate that my husband bought me to celebrate, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my review. Um, and I, that got more, you know, interaction from people. So, to me, it was a review, but I was paying more for using it for my marketing, for Absolutely. promoting. It. Yeah, that is that is marketing for sure. There's anything that you're doing to to promote your book that you're spending money on is great. I think that there are some things that we we spend uh, dollars on that don't have as much of a return as we want, and other things that uh, we wish we would have poured a ton more money into uh, than than we ended up doing. So I, you know, I've I've had such a journey. Um, my wife has a uh, college education in, in uh, art, graphic design, things of that nature. So she designed mm-hmm. my covers. She designed them okay. using Canva. I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And we had an issue where the style that we decided to use, you could not see it at any level of size adjustment that the one black was not quite black. Then there was another black that was mm-hmm. a, the true black. And so there was this almost what would kind of appear like pixelated look to some of the silhouettes. It was really difficult. I ordered a, a, a box of 50. So I'm not, I'm not the kind of person to, to uh, test the water. So I just uh, immediately when we had our cover ready, I ordered a box of uh, 50 from Amazon to sell direct. Cause I do as much as I possibly can selling direct. Um, mm-hmm. And when I got those books and looked at them, I think there was this really big heart sinking moment of like, wow, I have 50 defective copies. Um, but mm-hmm. thankfully the words inside were great. And I, I ended up hyping it and saying, Hey, you're going to get, if you buy this book right now, you're going to be one of 50 people who has the true first edition with the error on the cover. And I think I turned uh, lemons into to lemonade. It was a fun experience and I enjoyed it. Um, but there, there are some challenges. I, I notice more and more that authors are designing their own covers. I'm kind of cautious promoting that necessarily, but talk to me about why you decided to design your own covers and, and let's let's kind of hash it out. Well, as you know, the cover itself was actually described at one scene in the book, which I won't really go into since mm-hmm. it is a bit of a spoiler. Yeah. Um, but seeing, I could, as I was writing, I could see this cover in my head. I could imagine the crescent moon for the sea and that rose and crown. And I, I just was, you know, I, I considered commissioning 
commissioning somebody to create the cover, but I thought, mm -hmm. let me just see what I can do. So I actually met an artist on Twitter um, who lives in Australia, and this was before I knew about the Canva program. And honestly, I'm glad now that I did this anyway. Mm -hmm. I commissioned her to do me a, a galaxy painting. I had seen her work on like Art Station and a few other, you know, art sites when I had been looking to get inspiration for my cover. And she painted the galaxy background that you see on my cover. Um, okay. And she actually sent me a copy of the painting. And then she did a digital version, which is what I used for the cover itself. She also created the moon, um, which since you read the ebook, the, the physical copies actually have a moon uh, on the spine. And what it is, it starts as a small crescent moon. And as each book comes out, it grows into a full moon, showing the progression of the story. Mm, cool. So I also hired her to do that. Um but I thought, okay, I have these elements, you know, it, it all in all for her, her painting and, and this digital design cost me roughly a hundred dollars. And then using Canva, I'm like, okay, hundred bucks. I'm going to try this myself. I'm going to see how this looks. And if mm -hmm. I don't like it, or if I get negative feedback on Twitter, when I post, Hey, this is the cover I'm thinking of doing, then I would start looking to commission somebody to create my cover. Yeah. Instead, I so many people, oh my goodness, I love that. I love that the moon is the sea, or that's such a beautiful cover. And, you know, and then somebody um, suggested the border on it. Um, so then we added the border, um, you know, and I did work with another author who he hires uh, somebody to do his covers, but he has a general, like I did, like the general idea of what he really wanted and was really passionate about what he wanted on his cover. Mm -hmm. And he kind of walked me through it too. <clears throat> and in the end, I mean, I got a B plus rating from Publishers Weekly for it. It won an award on Author Shout, you know, for cover of the week. So I, I am... I am pleased with somebody who has minimal graphic design experience, to be honest, yeah. um, at how happy the covers have turned out. Yeah. I I had this experience with my covers uh, where I had a, a conversation, a follow-up conversation with an author who's been on this podcast. She's been extremely successful at direct fulfillment, um, is a just a consummate marketer, really giving generous person. Uh, and I had a phone call with her just privately to ask, you know, what kind of things she thought I could do if I wanted to run a Kickstarter. And she pulled up the book on Amazon and said, you have to change your cover. That's the first thing you have to do. Your cover is doing you no favors. And that really, really was a downer for me. Um, mm -hmm. And then she was, she was the second person of some note who had made that comment to me. Um, both of them also said, now I don't read in your genre, but when I look at that cover, it just doesn't seem like, uh, you know, it's, it's going to help you out. And so I went and I paid somebody else to design a cover. And then I did a reveal on Twitter. And the hilarious thing was everybody said, I liked your old cover better. Really liked your old cover. And I was like, oh gosh, yeah. great. So I ran the new covers for a couple of days, had no sales, felt in my heart like something was wrong, went back to the other covers. And the very moment that I switched back to the old covers, I started getting sales again. And I was like, well, okay. So there's something, there's something going on here where we have to like be in conversation with our intuition, what we think is right. And then, and then be willing to adapt and change when signs point toward, uh, 
possible problems. So the fact that your your book is selling well right now, that you have a lot of reviews, that you have very positive reviews, it seems to me like you've made a good choice. I'm always I always caution people when I hear that you designed your own cover without any kind of experience in doing it. But it's so it's so hard. Uh, now that I've had this experience to say that there's one fit for everybody. Let me just say my debut novel, I did the cover myself and the cover received mixed reviews. I had Mm -hmm. one woman who bought the book specifically because she loved the cover. Mm -hmm. And I had some women say, look, and I had some uh, people, men and women both, I had some people say it just looked absolutely terrible. So I, and and it it was mentioned even in reviews, um, people loving or hating. It was so uh, you know wishy-washy so i did create a new cover um i got feedback again from some of my author friends on twitter dming with them sending them the cover you know what do you think of this Mm -hmm. um and the new cover has gotten much more positive feedback so you know we do have to be open to changing things i do still love my original cover my husband took one of my updated paperwork to a co-worker of his and said, you know, oh, there's no charge for this. Um, but since she updated her cover, she wants you to have this. And she's like, no, I absolutely mm. love her original cover. I don't love this <laughs> new one. Yeah. Um, you know, she said, you know, so again, it, 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 like anything with the book itself, it's going to be subjective. People are going to love your cover. People are going to hate it. But as long as it's overall, you know, with, 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 uh, with the unexpected queen, it really was 50 50. So that's why mm-hmm. I decided to change it. But according fate, it's been like 95% positive. So obviously, you know, other yeah. than maybe a small tweak here or something, you know, one person said, oh, you should really make your name bigger on, you know, maybe a small mm-hmm. tweak. But otherwise that I have not changed the cover because it has received such positive feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the the way to go is respond to feedback and, and, and adjust according to that feedback. There have been points where I've been too stubborn and this is where I kind of want to wrap up because it, it just fits so well, but uh, I do a program and it's not a surprise. Um, I do a program called ammo. So how I learned how to do direct filling, fulfilling of my books. Um, and for a long time, I was running my sales page uh, through my Facebook ads And I loved the way that it looked. I was so attached to the way that it looked and it really, really resonated with me. And I I had had certain elements of it tested and it was working, but something wasn't, wasn't happening. Right. And so I would, I would maybe get decent conversion, but people weren't then, you know, buying the books. And I, I was finally at my wits end and did a complete redesign based on some feedback I'd been getting. And uh, I'm selling tons of books right now. And it's been so nice to see that change. And so I will say that, that, when you get feedback, when you see something's not going right, be willing to adjust because when you do adjust, oftentimes the result is that that you you have more readers, more sales. And um, it sounds like you did that with your cover and learning from your audience, your betas, your alpha readers, your arc readers. You're just, you're a testing machine, it sounds like. And that's a really, really great place to be. It is. And I do want to say, because I have noticed on book talk, um, there is some discourse between readers, ARC readers, and authors that ARC readers, some ARC readers feel like that they are free labor for giving their review in exchange for the ARC. And hmm. it's always been my understanding the purpose of the ARC is for a review. Now, yeah, that's absolutely. not saying that you absolutely have to, that I'm not, you know, um obviously trying to force anybody that if you are able to leave a review that is great and i appreciate it if for whatever reason you didn't care for the book but you don't want to speak negatively about the author or 
you are i myself only leave three star and above reviews i and again this is not at all to dictate how anybody else does a review this is me as a reader that to me if it's only one or two stars then it wasn't necessarily the book that it just wasn't for me mm-hmm. but you know that an arc reader is not doing a review for free that is not unpaid labor they get no. access to a book that people other people are having to wait one to two months to receive yeah exactly getting that book in exchange for a review now mm-hmm. if that's not the case anymore or if these terms are changing again as as writers and readers so many <laughs> things that come up that that change in the world of books you know um but I, I, I am blessed with my ARC team, and, and even I did have to blacklist one ARC reader, and hmm. a friend of mine DM'd me like, oh my gosh, I saw your tweet. Did she leave you a one-star review? I would never blacklist an ARC reader for a, a one-star, yeah. two-star review, unless they attacked me personally. Oh my gosh, this author right. is a horrible person, or you know something along those lines. Mm-hmm. This ARC reader actually went on Twitter and not only blasted me, they blasted my editor, they blasted my readers. Oh, Anybody who reads this book and is leaving her reviews, she's clearly paid money for. She's, she's you know, these readers Ouch. are wow. liking her books. And uh, again, ARC readers and regular readers and authors, all three of us, can we just keep a polite, civil, professional relationship and all of these problems would go away. <laughs> you yeah, know? Right. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My, my understanding of ARC readers, in fact, any, anytime I've had ARCs, I actually, I, I say do not accept a copy of this book unless you're willing to leave a rating and review, because that's the point of this is to read it, rate it, review it honestly, and you get free access to a book early. Um, so that's kind of been my feeling about it. I didn't realize that there even was a conversation about free labor. I was like, no, it's, it's definitely not free. I, you knew how many hours I spent writing this book. You would understand that every time I give a copy away, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's really tough to give away work that I have I have labored on so hard. Um, okay, for everybody it's who's really, listened, it's really yeah, <laughs> I want to I want to have you promote yourself. Where do you like people to find you? It sounds like you're pretty active on TikTok as well. I know that I met you over on Twitter. Um, where else do you want people to connect with you? And uh, what's the best way for them to get your books? I am um, also on Instagram and Pinterest. Um, if you just type in AR Coffer, you'll find me on there. Um, I have the two books out right now, Courting Fate and The Unexpected Queen, which are available on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books A Million, Waterstones, Thrift Books, basically any major book site. My books are there. Um, <clears throat> Courting Destiny, which is book two after Courting Fate, will come out one month from today. Um, pre-orders are already available for it on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books a Million, all those sites that I just said. Um, I have been very fortunate that my books have been picked up by most of these major book sites. Hmm. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm glad that, that you have the opportunity to go wide like that. And uh, I will make sure to put links to all of your social media uh, and then your your Amazon link and all of that good stuff. It was fantastic that we Thank met. You. I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to talk and uh, I'm sure that we will be in touch. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, being on your show today and I appreciate uh, this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you.
Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?